Good morning, everybody. Are we all good? If Resound Plus could like to go out for their, for their stuff this morning, have a great time. I'm sure it won't be as great as staying and listening to me, but no, it will be. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Have a great time, guys. Brilliant. So, yeah, week two of, um, of Defining Moments. And who was around last week, just out of interest, just when, to hear Leon last week? What a great, great you know, talk that was on, on Jesus leaving us, going back to be with his father, and making the brilliant point that something had ended so something brilliant could begin. And, um, and if you haven't heard it, it's on the podcast, please, you know, download that and have a listen. And just you really missed out if you weren't here on, on, on a great, great message there. And so we're in week two um, of this series. And, and this is about Jesus choosing. And it's called Jesus Chooses. And this is all to do with Jesus' time in the wilderness. Um, Leon alluded to it last week, about 40 days that he spent with his followers before he went back to be with his father. And that's sort of when he was saying, look, I'm everything I said I was. I did everything I said I would do, and I will continue to do everything I said I would do. And this links straight back into the 40 days he had that we're going to look at this morning in, found in um, Matthew chapter 4 that we'll look at in a moment. But I was just thinking now that if I was the devil, and I wanted to get you to say yes to something that you would normally say no to, how would I do that? How would I go about that? How would I get a good person to say yes to a bad thing? And I think um, if you are already making choices and making decisions that aren't healthy for you, aren't good for you, I don't think it probably pays you that much attention because you're already on the road. But actually to try and get you to do something that you would, you would normally say no to is quite a challenge. Quite persuasive, quite manipulative. And um, so would he get all his minions together and bring out the giant flip chart and uh, start writing up loads of ways of trying to persuade you and trying to manoeuvre you and trying to pressure you and trying to control you into making a decision? Would he brainstorm loads of temptation techniques on what would be the best thing that would work for you? Because what works on you will not work on me and vice versa. And with loads of tempting formulas maybe... And I'm going to suggest to you that this is exactly what he was doing in this period in Jesus' life. In Jesus' life. So Jesus had been growing up for 30 years. Up to this point, he just had an amazing experience that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks. That Simon's going to look at actually when, when Jesus was baptised. When, when God actually affirmed him. When God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my son. I'm really proud and pleased with you. And then suddenly he finds himself in the wilderness on his own for quite a lengthy period. And then why do you think he did that? Why do you think he went from such an incredible experience to go in somewhere that was so isolated and so vulnerable on his own? And I think it was this, because I think God wanted him to experience this human thing called temptation. That actually, God is never tempted, but I am. I so am. And I think for Jesus to be relevant and Jesus to be connectable and Jesus to understand me, he needs to go through this process of temptation. And Jesus is the one target the devil wants to be sure is his. So he is focusing all of his thousands of years worth of tempting experience into this one time moment with Jesus in the desert. And he's condensed everything into these three things. And it's the same three things that all of my temptations and all of your temptations flow out of today. And we're going to look at that this morning. But this is a high-risk game, you know, because it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Because Jesus came in to stand in for me. 
Jesus stood in for me. He was my substitute. So if Jesus can withstand these three things in this period of time, there's nothing left for the devil to tempt me with. Nothing. This is how high stakes game this is. There's nothing I'm going to experience in the way of temptation that isn't covered in this standoff experience. And so we're going to read it together. If you've got a Bible with you, it's Matthew chapter 4. If not, the verses should come up on the screens for you. And then we're going to see what God wants to say to us this morning. So it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it's written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And this is the match. And if I could play the Rocky theme tune right now, I would. Because this is how it comes alive in my head. Because this is the boxing match to top all boxing matches. Because these are the stakes. If Jesus gives in, the devil has the upper hand with every person on this planet for the rest of history. For the rest of history. But if Jesus doesn't give in, then I have the most awesome power available to me for dealing with any temptation that comes my way. And that's the match. That's the match. So I bet all of heaven are crowding in and looking down and seeing what's going to happen. The angels don't know what's going to go on, don't know what the plan is going to be. Everybody's there watching. And it's almost like if you imagine the, the boxing matches that we see on TV. And in, in this corner, we have Satan, you know, prince of the world, super powerful, thinking he's superior. And over here in this corner, we have a bedraggled looking Jesus who's been without food for 40 days and 40 nights, feeling vulnerable and alone. And the devil thinks he's got it. The devil thinks he's got it. And the bell goes ding, ding, round one, and we're off. And they come to the front and they start fighting. And here's the devil coming out with the first punch. Matthew 4, verse 3. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, Jesus is hungry, and I think that's an understatement. He's starving. He's ate nothing for 40 days. And the devil says to him, come on, just wave your hand. Turn this stone into bread. It's so easy for you to do, isn't it? Come on, take the shortcut. Doesn't sound that bad, does it? If you're hungry, to turn something into bread so you can eat it and feed that. But what's this really about? What's this really about for me today in 21st century? How's that? It's about this. It's about the temptation to get something for nothing. To get something for nothing. It's saying you can get ahead without paying the price. It's about my greed. It's about my lusts. It's about my desire for gain. And lust isn't just about sexual appetites. Lust is about anything. Lust is about getting what I want when I want it. It's about getting what I want even when I can't afford it. Rather than waiting for God to do it. You know, Jesus was hungry. 
And I bet the angels were itching, itching to come to him and saying, God, can't we just go and give him some food? And God's going, no, 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 hang on, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Because at the end of the passage, there's this little throwaway line that says, and the angels came and attended to him. So you see, God came through at just the right time, in the right place, with the right deal. With the right deal. And what does Jesus say to this offer? Because he knows he could do it. He knows he could do it any time. At any time, day or night, create food for himself. Jesus goes right back to God's way of living and he's, he's, he's countering punches this. It is written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, living on bread alone is like me trying to get through life on my own strength, on my own needs, on my own decisions, on my own choices, not dependent on on God at all. And where does that life get me? I'll tell you where that life gets me. That life grinds me down, it wears me out, it overwhelms me, and it empties me. That's where that life gets me. And Jesus, right at that point before I ever was, won round one so I could do two. Ding, ding, one point to Jesus. And they go back to their corners. And the devil's thinking, oh, I've got, I've got another one. I've got another one. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. We'll go again. Ding, ding, round two, and they're out. And this time, the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, isn't it, Jesus? He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. What a strategy that is. That's top draw, that is. That's top draw stuff. If you are. If you are. If you are. And that's not asking Jesus about his identity and saying, are you sure you're the son of God, Jesus? Are you sure you're this? Because this is about how it is in my head. If you are, if you are, if you are, you deserve this, Jane. You can have this right now. You've earned this. You can have this. But see, then the devil has the audacity to quote the Bible back at Jesus, completely out of context. And says, look, the Bible says it's okay for you to do this. Isn't that just like we do? I will find a verse to justify what I want to do, when I want to do it, and who I want to do it with. Because the Bible tells me I can. It's exactly what the devil was doing. It justifies what I've already done, or what I've already decided to do. And Jesus comes back with another punch. It's written, devil. It's written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. You see, Jesus sees straight through it. Can't pull the wool over his eyes. You can't surprise him. Because what's the devil actually saying? The devil's actually saying this. If God has promised to take care of you, then do whatever you want. Because God's going to come through, isn't he? It doesn't matter what you do. What choices you make, where you go, what you do, who you do it with. doesn't matter at all because God's going to sort it out. God's going to come through. And if it doesn't work out, I'll tell you what, you can blame God. Because he said he'd do all these things, didn't he? Make God responsible for the outcome, not you. And that's about control and manipulation. That's about me putting myself in unnecessary dangerous situations to manipulate God into saving me. That's what that is. That's exactly what that is. It's like me living life recklessly. And this is all about the blame game. All about the blame game. Because I've got the freedom to choose. You've got the freedom to choose. That's an incredible gift from God. 
that we have freedom to choose. But if I choose to do something stupid, I cannot blame God for the consequences. I can't. I have a go. And I'll find something that justifies what I've done. But if I choose to do something stupid, I cannot blame God for the consequences. And putting God to the test is often me being impatient of wanting now what God wants to give me later. Round two to Jesus, I think. Back to their corners. Having a little whisper, having a little conflab, having a little talk about the next thing they're going to do. The devil's got one more left. Thinks I've got, got this one. I've got this one. Ding, ding, round three. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, Jesus. Look at all of this. All of this I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. And what's this one about? This one's about that feeling of power. That feeling of power. Because the word splendor here can also be translated as the word glory. And so not only can I run your life, but I want you to adore me while you're doing it. That's what that's saying. Love me. Think I'm great. Because if you think I'm great, you'll do whatever I want you to do. Because you're that in awe of me. And I have that much power and control over you. And that's a really big temptation. But if I give in to that temptation, if I go with that craving, I'm bowing down to a different ideal and I'm bowing down to a different system of living that isn't God's design because manoeuvring a situation to get an advantage for me is nothing to do with God at all. I should not be manoeuvring things to get what I want. To get an advantage over you, to get an advantage over my colleague, to get an advantage over my friend, to get in first for the sake of somebody else. And then Jesus comes back. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And there's the knockout win right there. Boom. Thanks for coming. So if Jesus has won through on that defining moment, What's that mean for me? How can I live in that 2,000 years later? Can I live in that 2,000 years later? How do I say no when I want to say yes? Well, I need to be realistic. Because I'm going to be tempted. Whether I follow Jesus for a day, a month, a year, 20 years, as long as I can remember the whole of my life, you never outgrow temptation. Never. Never, ever, too spiritually mature for temptation. Never. It's inevitable. But because of Jesus, it's not irresistible. Temptation is inevitable, but because of Jesus, it's not irresistible. So I need to be realistic. I need to be responsible. I need to stop blaming you for my problems. I need to stop blaming God for the choices that I make when the consequences don't come out great. And I need to be ready. You know, Jesus said in another part of the Bible, I should watch and pray that I don't enter into temptation. Because temptation doesn't tell me it's coming. It doesn't knock me on the head in advance and say, hey, you're going to have a temptation today. Keep, your, keep awake, keep your eyes open, keep your hand on the wheel. It doesn't happen like that, does it? I don't think it ever happens like that. So how do we prepare for it? And I think there are two ways. And the first one is, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, then this one is especially for you and for me. See, notice every time Jesus answered the devil back, he answered him back with scripture. 
He answered him back with the truth of the word. He didn't say, hang on, I just have to look that one up. Uh, I think I remember it in a talk a couple of years ago. I'm sure Simon said something about that to me on the Alpha course. He didn't. He didn't have to go and hang around and look at it back. Boom, it was there. And I need to be reading this book every day, not just in emergency situations, not just when things get to crisis point. It was inside of Jesus, so it came out. And when I get punched, what comes out of my mouth? What comes out of your mouth? And the second way is open to everybody here, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not. And the second way is that we're not going to be taken off into the wilderness for a 40-day process. So we need to understand how temptation works. And I'm going to suggest a process to you this morning. And whether that's a five-second process in your brain or it takes six months or 12 months to get there, I want to prove to you this morning that temptation is a process. And James, um, another book in the New Testament, writes it really, really clearly. And in James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, it starts with a desire. Starts with me wanting to do something. They're not all desires are bad. Not everything I want to do is bad. Not everything I hope for and dream for is bad. But when my desire gets out of control, when it becomes obsessive, when it becomes controlling, then I'm in trouble. Then I'm really, really in trouble. Because the devil loves it when my desire runs away with me. And I want to just challenge you this morning that so often we mention temptation and straight away we go to sexual things. It's not just about sexual matters. We normally think, oh, I'm tempted with somebody of, the, of you know, to, to, to cheat on a relationship or, or get involved with somebody I shouldn't be involved with. No, we need to, need to blow that out of the water. That is one, only one of a number of options that we're tempted with. So don't let your brain restrict you this morning thinking, well, actually, I've not done that one, so I'm okay. That isn't what God's trying to tell us at all. And I think the Star Trek writers got this right. And they created an alien um, called the Borg. Do you remember the Borg? And their catch line was, resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. And I think that's what gets whispered in my brain all the time. Resistance is futile, Jane. You're going to give in to this. You might as well do it now. Because you're just going through a whole process here of torture and pain. So if you do it now and get it over with, just give in to it. You know you want to do it. Look, everybody's doing it. The world's living this way now. And all this stuff is rabbit, 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 rabbit in my ears. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Because the devil wants me to stop struggling, to stop living a moral lifestyle, to stop denying myself and give in to that appetite and desire. And if I do that, then I move on to stage two of the process, which is deception. See, we are dragged away and enticed. And the word dragged away here literally means snared in a trap. And it's a fisherman's term. It's a fisherman's term. It's meaning lured by bait. Now, all good fishermen know, Andy, that um, don't you need the right kind of bait to catch the right kind of fish. So what kind of bait does the devil use for you? What turns your head? What makes you give a second look? What will you fall for? So the bait goes on the hook, and that bait appeals to my weakness, not yours, mine. Because my weakness is my weakness. So that bait is specific 
for me, you know what really makes me scratch my head and bang my head sometimes is even when I know the hook is in the bait, I still keep nibbling. I still keep nibbling. Even though I know where that process is going to get me, I still keep having a go. Because I stay stuff like, well, I know what I'm doing. I know where the line is. I know I'm not going to cross it. I know what I can get away with. I know how far to go. Don't worry, I won't get hurt. And often it's other people that come and challenge us about things that we're doing or decisions that we're making, and that's our response, isn't it? I'm fine, I'm, don't worry, it's okay. It's all good. It's all good, I know where it's going. When I start talking like that, desire's already gone to deception. I'm already there. Because there's nothing you can say to me that is going to make me think any differently. Because I'm already in that state of mind. Because temptation will look to me better than it really is. Better than it really is. So then what happens? So I've had a desire. I've gone into deception. Then I make a decision. I act on it. I go through with it. What starts in my mind turns into a decision. And that begins with a thought. And the devil gets my attention. Then I have an attitude about it. Do you remember when if you've challenged somebody, then normally it's normally quite an attitude that comes back to you sometimes of, Back off. You know, I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. So we have an attitude towards it. And then I commit the action. And I say stuff like, oh, what's the harm in that? What's the danger in thinking about it? What's the danger in toying with it? Let me tell you what the danger with toying with this. And this is from real personal experience that we've all had. If I don't flee from it, I start to flirt with it. And then I'll certainly fall for it. If I don't flee from it and I start to flirt with what's tempting me, then I'm almost certainly going to fall for it because it will come out in my lifestyle and you will see that. If you're close enough to me, you will see that. And then where's my desire got me? Destruction. Maybe not literally, but the results of my desire can have devastating results on me, on you, on my family on the people I'm working with. So I'm at a defining moment. And Simon talked a couple of weeks ago about what happens when concern and opportunity come together and the really positive outcomes of that. I want to say this morning that temptation is what happens when desire and opportunity come together. When desire and opportunity come together. Because every time I have given in to something that I know is not good for me, it's when I've had the desire and the opportunity at the same time. If I had an opportunity to do something, I'm not feeling it. It doesn't bother me. It's like if you offer me a cream cake and I've already had one, I'm, li I'm likely to say no. But if I'm absolutely starving and I really want that Eccles cake, when desire and opportunity come together, and it's no use saying, well, I've just licked the cream. You've still had the cake. So what do we do? We need to shift our focus. We need to change our mind because whatever gets my attention gets me. Whatever gets my attention gets me. So I need to want God more than I want that thing. And that's easily said than done because that might, might mean removing myself physically from somewhere. It might mean turning the TV off. It might mean not hanging around with that group of friends so much. It might mean not going out somewhere and I know that I'm going to be faced with all loads of temptations and I just think, oh, I got away with that. Because there's a really big buzzword going around at the moment, and it's this word resilient. We need to build resilience. We need to teach our young people how to be resilient. 
We need to bounce back. And yes, we do. But part of resilience is not just being able to go back to somewhere that you've been before or an experience you've had before and not give in to that thing and not have the same outcome. But it's also being wise enough to know that you can't go back. Why would I put myself in that situation? Why would I go out to the casino for that night out with my mates from work if I've got a gambling problem? Why would I do that? So I can come back and sweat and just think, oh God, we got away with that one. Why do that? And conversely, we need to be aware. I do not want to be inviting all my mates around to the pub and meeting there if I know somebody who's coming out is going to have an issue with drink. Why would I do that to them? We need to help each other with this process. We need to help and be aware of each other. And we can do that because of Jesus' choices in that wilderness 2,000 years ago. We can do that. We have the power to do that. There were no outward circumstances for Jesus, no distractions, nothing going on, nothing he was involved with. It was him and the devil facing off, standing off in a one-on-one. And that tells me that temptation is an inward process. Something happens on the inside of me that may latch onto things that are going on around me, but I can't blame that situation. There's something going on on the inside of me. It's at its core an inward battle. And I don't have enough willpower on my own. I hold my hands up to you this morning. I don't. And I do give in to stuff I shouldn't give in to. Martin Luther said this great quote, I cannot prevent birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from building a nest in my hair. Great quote. Because I can't live and neither can you live in a temptation-free world. It's impossible but I don't need to be intimidated by it either. It doesn't need to intimidate me. And there's also something really important we need to understand as well. Another great writer wrote another great quote, which puts it far, far better than I could ever explain it to you. A guy called C.S. Lewis wrote this. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. Every time you make a choice, I make a choice... I'm turning the central part of me or you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. See, the truth is that the big issues we face in life often start with small choices. And these choices seem harmless enough at the time, but none of us wake up in the morning and say, do we, today I'm going to settle for less. Today I'm going to live life without God. We don't do that. There's little choices and little decisions and little moments that when we look back, we suddenly think, how did I get here? How did I get here? And it's normally a shortcut, an easy option, or a compromise. And the band are going to come back and they're just going to sing a song, which is an awesome song called, called Slow Fade. And I want you to listen to the words as they sing it and let God just talk to you. And then I'm going to come back and close, but I just really want you to hear the words and the essence and the heart of this song. And just think about actually where is my black and white turned to grey. Yeah, that song's by a band called Casting Crowns. And um, I was really privileged to go and hear them a few years ago, and they don't tour very often. And... um, And the guy who wrote the song explained why he'd written this song. And he said he'd based it around a verse in the Bible from Psalm chapter 1. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And there's a pattern here of walking, of standing and then sitting. And isn't this just how temptation creeps up on us? So where are you vulnerable today? What's your weak spot? I just want to ask us all to close our eyes if we could. Because I know how emotive and how sensitive this topic can be. But I really want to give God an opportunity to meet you this morning. You know, it's never far and it's never too late to come back to God. Never. But still today, 2,000 years later, the choice is always yours and the choice is always mine. You know, King David went right through to the end. If you read his story, well, he was literally sitting in the mess he created. Literally sitting in the mess he created. But then he went on to write one of the most fantastic Psalms ever written in the whole of the Bible, Psalm 51. So where are you this morning on turning black and white into grey? Where are you on that spectrum of temptation that we've spoken about this morning? From desire right through to destruction, you can overcome it all. You can overcome it all because of the choice Jesus made in that desert. So whether you're walking through something in your mind or toying with a desire or whether you think you can control something, you're standing at the point of decision or whether you're sitting this morning looking at the mess that has been or is being created by something that you've thought or done. God wants to make that awesome power available to you this morning. And I want to pray for you. This is a message that touches us all and we'll never, ever, ever hear, never, ever, never, ever get not to hear. We need to hear this time and time again. But for those of you this morning that identify with something I've said this morning, I want to pray for you. And just while every head is bared and eyes closed, just signify to me, God is not in the business of embarrassing anybody. But if you just want to just put your hand and I'll see it and I'll say thank you and acknowledge that and then I'll pray for you. And then I'll pray for all of us in this whole area. This is going to take some honesty and some bravery. Thank you. But I really feel, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see that. Thanks. Anybody else before I pray? Thank you. Thank you. I think God really wants to do something this morning. You've never gone too far and you've never fallen too hard. Quickly before I pray, anybody else? Father, I want to thank you for the power of what your son did in that desert for us 2,000 years ago. That there's nothing that comes our way, nothing that can come across my path, nothing that can tempt me or pull me away, that you didn't defeat Jesus. And God, I pray for this morning for those people that have been brave and honest enough to say, yeah, I'm on that spectrum. <clears throat> I identify with something, whether there's a desire going on, whether we are flirted with that desire, whether we are flirting with that desire, whether that desire has actually become a decision. Father, I want to pray for them this morning that they will turn around. That, Father, they will turn around and they will walk away. Back to you. God, would you help them, Father, identify the things that they need to do, the process maybe they need to go through. Father, maybe whether it's just committing that desire back to you. 
Father, I pray that you would do that for them this morning. Father, would you empower them? Would you strengthen them? Father, would you give them willpower outside of their own willpower today? Father, the thing that is healthy and right for them to do. God, the only thing that you want us to do is participate. You cannot make us do this. You cannot force us to do this. But God, as a father to your child, you want us to make right and healthy decisions. And we want to say this morning that we participate with you in that process. And so for all of us, God, as we just want to lift our vision and turn and look at you, Father, would you help us, God, that today we may feel strong. Today there may be nothing that comes away along our way, but tomorrow morning, God, may be a different story. Would you keep us aware and alert? As your word says, would we watch and pray? Would we prepare for those things, God, that may trip us up and lure us away? Father, would you help us to see the hook inside the bait of what may attract our attention? Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. And we're just going to finish this morning by singing this song and about lifting our vision up to God and about doing exactly what I said on the tin, that actually when my focus and my attention is on him, it's not going to be anywhere else. And whether that's a five-second process or a six-month process, I assure you that this works, that when I turn and look at God, my attention is on where it shouldn't be, on things that may trip me up or lure me away. So let's stand and sing this great song, You Are My Vision. And let's really give God some glory this morning for what he's done 2,000 years ago that makes it, makes it okay for me to live today.